Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Welcome back, everybody, to Media Roots Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have some great episodes that we just put out that you should check out. Yeah, and we also just wanted to say, just for, we, we don't normally do this. We don't normally pat ourselves on the back or toot our own horn on this podcast. We'd like to just say we're really excited about the amount our podcast has grown, especially over the last year. We've doubled our amount of listens um, since 2018. We have reached over a million listens, and we have almost been doing this podcast for 10 years. So it was, you know, it slowly grew at the beginning, and we're looking at, you know, the end of a decade now, and, and 2020 will pretty much mark the 10-year the anniversary of, uh, of doing this podcast. So that's very exciting. Um, I'm really proud of the work we've done, Abby, and here's to many more years to come, and and thank you so much for continuing to spread the word and, and being a supporter, whether you're a donor or not, just being a listener means a lot. And we really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool to know that we're coming up on a decade. I think we've been covering things in a different way. Uh, I heard from a lot of listeners firsthand on the North American tour of Gaza Fights for Freedom, and it was really encouraging to hear from you directly, the listener, about how Media Roots Radio fits into your life and and why you like the podcast. And, you know, it's it's hard because everyone has a podcast now. And Robbie and I have been doing this for a decade. Um, and so we try to deliver something differently and give a different take on what's happening. And um, we really appreciate your support. And we appreciate you taking the time to check this out when you could be checking out, you know, so many other things. There's just such an influx of uh, media, an over-inundation of just media content. So it's really great to have your support and um, to have your continued support. And we will continue to listen to your feedback and try to deliver, you know, what we feel is most important about what's going on today. Absolutely. And we shouldn't forget that so one of the biggest sort of influences, I guess, or things that sort of was the impetus for us to get to start doing the podcast was the lack of criticism of the current administration from the anti-war movement, especially the left. You know, we started this back in like 2009-ish. You know, it was in response to the void that was out there. We didn't see very much pushback against the Obama administration um, for foreign policy and things that we were really concerned about from a progressive sort of left-leaning direction. So we're still on that course now. You know, we've been accused by certain people uh, because we oppose the Trump administration on the same principles of being neo-libs. Um, we're, we're definitely not neo-libs. We are uh, <laughs> very, we've stick to our principles and we always have. So thank you so much again for listening. Yeah, no, it's really cool that you bring that up about Obama because we tend to forget the lack of coverage of his foreign policy, especially as we resided in Oakland. Um, yeah. And especially when Occupy Wall Street erupted in our backyard. And I remember, you know, kind of struggling with fellow protesters that I was covering. You know, I was covering the movement for Media Roots and just talking about why are we not occupying the Obama headquarters, which is right down the street from Franco Gawa Plaza? Why are we not calling attention to this? He stacked his cabinet with Wall Street executives. And it seemed like there was this kind of large disconnect. And there always is, I think, when it comes to uh, connecting the current administration, if there is, you know, someone who deems themselves a progressive. And at that time, Obama was only in office for, I think, a year or so, um, maybe a little more. But it just seemed like for a long, long time, people said, 
you know, let's let's give him a chance. Let's give him a chance. And we kind of knew from the get-go that he was a fraud based on his cabinet and exactly the same as Trump. It seemed like a lot of people we knew over a decade ago. I mean, now we're looking at, you know, 15 years or so ago that are, are kind of Trump sycophants, which is really interesting because they've fallen prey to the, the Trump propaganda that he's an anti-interventionist and stuff like that. So it's it's just the same propaganda every time. And we've always been crystal clear and we've never wavered. So it's funny to see people kind of fall into these partisan traps over and over again. But we won't stop and we haven't stopped and we will keep going um, for as long as it takes. <laughs> yeah. And I made this comparison recently, and I don't know if people understood it or not, but part of what people got excited about Obama for when he was running was he, he threw in some stuff saying that he might prosecute the Bush administration for what they had done, for torture and other things. That was re- He dangled that red meat out there. And if you think about it, that's kind of similar to what Trump did when he won the election or before. He, was, you know, he got his whole audience of people to chant, lock her up about Hillary Clinton. She's not locked up. That's not going to happen. So I just think that that comparison is interesting to me that I think Trump and Obama and their campaign strategies have more similarities than people realize. Um, even though personality-wise, they're extraordinarily yep. different people. There are certain similarities, um, but that, that's for in a whole nother episode. That, that's, a, that's a rabbit hole. We can go down some other time. So Abby, your DVD of Gaza Fights for Freedom is now available to order. By the time this episode comes out, that we will have multiple boxes of shrink wrap copies on DVD of Gaza Fight for Freedom. It's a standard definition DVD, but we are planning on eventually doing a Blu-ray of it as well. For now, yeah, these are available to order and they're going to start shipping before Thanksgiving. So, uh, So why don't you tell people about it? Um, we're very, very thrilled to be getting these hard copies of the DVDs, um, selling them not only single DVDs, but also agitator packs of, for five and ten that you can buy in bulk and give it out for holidays, you know, give it out for, for presents over the Christmas holidays to your friends, family and colleagues uh, to try to educate them about Israeli war crimes. So this is a massive political education tool and we wanted to deliver it in that way. We wanted to deploy it in that way. So we encourage you to buy not only one, but multiple so you can hand it out um, and just really spread the word in a grassroots fashion, because that's how we're going to get the word out there. But um, we're very, very excited about it. It looks extremely good. We're also excited about music that uh, Mike's brother, John Preisner, by the stage name Anna Hadron, just put out. Really incredible score, original score for Gaza Fights for Freedom that you should check out as well. It's on all available streaming platforms. Um, And I was really excited and impressed with your latest EP, Robbie. Uh, Your stage name, Fluorescent Gray, incredible EP, sounds very... Oh, thanks. Very Andy. good. We we can't stop listening to it. I'm super stoked on it. Um, tell us about how people can listen to that. Yeah, so um, I just put out my first piece of like official music. Um, I've been doing music for 20 years, um, but I took sort of a five year hiatus from officially releasing anything. So this EP, it's only five tracks. I composed the tracks about a year ago. I guess it's kind of almost like IDM. Um, you know, there's some Aphex Twin influence, uh, Drexia influence. So if you like electro and kind of melodic analog synth heavy music, um, you'll probably dig this. But yeah, I'm happy to have something out after after five years. It feels good. 
Yeah, no, we'll link to that on the timeline right now. It's a really fun listen. I've been listening nonstop to that EP and also just Zero from Apex Ren. I, I'm obsessed with that album. But um, really good counterpart to that reminds me kind of of Square Pusher's best work. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's just really great, Robbie. I, I, I encourage you to do more as much as you can because we want more it's it's not enough tracks so thank you well I, i'm sitting on about 12 more tracks so maybe i will slowly release those out that are that it were made sort of in this with the same uh, sound palette and in the same sessions and people want to get that it's called telesync for rugu and it's available at uh, fluorescent-gray.bandcamp.com so i know there's a lot going on um, and so I wanted to focus, obviously, the main part of the episode on the Bolivia coup. I've been doing a ton of research following minute-by-minute minute updates since it erupted. Um, and we just did a podcast, actually, with Pablo Vivanco, the former director of Telesor English, another great resource on all things Latin America, covering the Chilean movement there, these mass demonstrations in Chile that have taken over the streets for the last month and the recent uh, movement in Ecuador that um, forced Lenin Moreno to kind of revamp this IMF austerity measure. So definitely check that podcast out. It is coming out if it's not out already. So we've covered all of that stuff there that you can check out. Um, but Robbie, before we get into Bolivia, you know, and this kind of directly ties into Bolivia, the fact that Juan Guaido, U.S. puppet, coup puppet in Venezuela that tried to carry out the coup, he is receiving $52 million. He was handed $52 million by USAID. USAID is a CIA cutout. They use these civic society groups, these civil groups um, like USAID, like NED now, instead of doing these kind of blatant overthrows like the CIA used to across Latin America. Now they use these organizations under the facade of human rights and aid delivery. And it really just kind of lifts that when you see that they're just straight up giving these shadow government officials, these coup officials, tens of millions of dollars to basically maintain a shadow government. A lot of funds were diverted from other, other countries' actual development. So, you know, seizing all these other countries' funds under the banner of, like, aid development, God knows what those countries, it was even being used for there. But just diverting it and putting it right in the pocket of Juan Guaido. And with the inflation crisis in Venezuela, it's really incomprehensible how much, $52 million, how much that can really take you in Venezuela, how far that money will really go when people are struggling to get, you know, insulin delivery, uh, dialysis equipment. This is all the things that are affected by this genocidal blockade that has taken the lives of 30,000 people in the last couple of years. So this is absolutely astounding to me. This figure, Juan Guaido, can't even muster support of like a dozen people now at these rallies that he tries to stage now in the country. He is so widely unpopular. I mean, I thank God there's some pushback in media spheres against the, that propaganda because I feel like if we were living in a different era where it was just like television news, can you imagine what that coup attempt would have been like in Venezuela? Like if it was during the same era that George H.W. Bush invaded Panama? We would have seen that Richard Branson concert plastered all over the media. You know, nobody would have figured out yep. or shown us the fact that the amount of protesters, like I think Dan Cohen might have been at that concert and he was clearly showing that the amount of people there was completely exaggerated. It was like one fiftieth the amount of people at that concert they were claiming were there. Everything was a complete farce 
And yeah, thank God for just the fact that the internet even exists, I guess, because I feel like that might have actually gone through. Juan Waido would be known now as some fucking hero uh, in the international community. That propaganda would have stuck. You know, when you actually have counter evidence to show how unpopular he is and all this other proof of just his lack of support, it really does make that narrative and the propaganda harder to get to stick. But as we see, they're still giving him money because to them, that does, it doesn't matter if the propaganda is effective. They've already anointed him, I guess, as the de facto proxy, I guess, to try to overthrow that government there. So, yeah, that's really what the coup was all about, was seizing the resources, seizing money in international bank accounts, seizing the gold that rightfully belonged to Maduro and just diverting it, putting it in the pockets of these coup officials, which is exactly what happened. It was a giant theft of God knows how much money um, and, of course, exacerbating the already spiraling out of control economic crisis in the country that sanctions are just making worse and worse. So I just found that story just really, really mind-bending. Another story, of course, coming out of Hong Kong, we hear this ad nauseum. Um, Every single news outlet just continues to cover Hong Kong. We saw Nancy Pelosi put out this video saying, we applaud the nonviolent protests in Hong Kong. Funny she would say nonviolent because the primary characteristic that has come to define the protests is kind of violence against mainlander Chinese people. At least that's just what I keep seeing. Every single day it's a new video of masked people just beating the shit out of mainlander Chinese people. Just ridiculous things are happening, whether it's burning down you know, Chinese state TV stations, throwing Molotov cocktails on people on the streets. I mean, I never thought that I'd see this again so quickly, you know? And first it happened on camera with an undercover cop and, and everyone kind of justified that. They're like, did you know he was a cop? It's like, okay, so that's okay then? Like someone who's just standing there and you just like douse them with gasoline and light them on fire? Like, okay. Um, it was just interesting to see people excuse that right away and be like, you're, you know, you're defending the police and like these police have killed people. It's like, I, okay, whatever, man. But now you see this other guy um, just literally standing there having a disagreement with the protester And all of these people are like around him, like kind of laughing. And then one guy comes up again and douses him in gasoline and lights it on fire. And that guy is not a police officer. He's just a normal citizen standing there in broad daylight. Robbie, you've seen some really crazy videos coming out too. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the first videos, I don't even know if we talked about this, was a subway train was like set on fire. You know, there were some videos of some brutal you know, police act activities against protesters in some of the trains I had seen from earlier, close up, you know, like not tear gassing, but like using like mace on protesters, sort of like huddled in a train. But again, you know, I'm not outraged at these videos necessarily, because I still am yet to see how this is any more brutal than, you know, American police would be against uh, American protesters. You know, I know people would sort of describe that as whataboutism, but I I think it's a valid point because there's so many examples of even just something like Occupy, which was really contained actually in a way, at least in the Bay Area, mostly in Oakland. And look how hardcore the police responded to just that small protest. These protests in Hong Kong are much bigger, much more widespread, um, much more frequent. 
And the police response is actually not that disproportionate. I mean, American police, if this happened in America, would be so much more aggressive. It, you wouldn't even believe it. So I, I can guarantee you that. But the other videos I saw, and I don't know, you know, for sure what to make of these videos, but they're pretty crazy videos that are circulating of things that protesters allegedly did during these Hong Kong protests, like lighting on fire a giant Christmas tree inside of a mall. Um, like that looked like it was three stories tall. The video looks almost like some kind of diehard, like a, like the movie. And then there was another video I saw, and I think you saw it too, Abby, where it appeared that masked up Hong Kong protesters were influenced by the movie starring Macaulay Culkin called The Good Son from like 1991. I don't know if anybody remembers this film starring Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin, where Macaulay Culkin plays like a child serial killer who shows Elijah Wood's character how he has fun by going to a freeway overpass and throwing garbage off to try to get cars to crash. So these protesters are literally doing that. They are throwing trash off of a giant highway overpass onto cars below um, and like breaking their windshields. I mean, these aren't police cars. These are like just people driving on the street. So I don't know what kind of protesters would do something that crazy to try to gain public support. It seems like a completely insane thing to do. But we've also seen like in the Euromaidan <laughs> protests, them just completely setting ablaze everything in Euromaidan Square and just like bum rushing built government buildings and just like beating the shit out of like anybody who worked in the building who was just still there or even burning alive in some cases, people who are still inside the building working in um, government facilities. So I think a lot of the stuff you're referring to, Abby, comes from sort of what I would describe as almost like this quasi-identitarian, anarchist, socialist left mentality where it's like any protest anywhere is encouraged because they believe in this narrative that every government is, you know, could be authoritarian and any protest trying to fight against it is like legitimate. And for some reason, they focus more on that than they do about the U.S. propping it up, which is the thing that we try to talk about most or focus on most when it's not being talked about. I'm not saying that all the protests that happen are propped up by, you know, U.S. Uh, forces, but when it's not being talked about and it's almost like you're being sort of told not to talk about it because you're a tanky, like you fucking tanky, all you talk about is the CIA, like fuck you. When, when that's like constantly being blasted out by people, that's when you should be talking about it. Because that's weird that people are trying to shame you into not talking about it. I think that's really weird. And I personally find it very suspect. Oh, I just don't agree with lighting people on fire. I don't yeah. care what kind of revolution is going on. I don't, I don't agree with actually beating people with sticks. Um, I don't agree with beating mainlanders and punching people, including many women, pouring paint on their faces, harassing them. Uh, exactly. I think there was another infamous video of a guy, a businessman, just trying to go back to work, being harassed and surrounded by people with uh, cameras. And he just yelled, we are all Chinese. And then he was repeatedly punched by a masked man, a young protester masked. Um, and then two white guys actually tried to block him from entering his workplace as he got beat up. After all of this, after like months of this happening... And I don't know how many people have been arrested or brutalized by police, but one protester died. But it wasn't from police violence. It was either that they fell or were crushed. But that, of course, has like re-sparked a wave of protests um, because this guy died. And Joshua Wong 
kind of this leader of the protest movement, one of the leaders who, again, has met, you know, come to D.C., met with all these right-wing officials, he has praised online. You can actually see this. He praises fire magicians. He says that we use fire magicians, which is like, are you, are you literally praising the fact that you guys throw Molotov cocktails on people on the streets? Yeah, it's pretty and cool. And it just is so bizarre that you have someone like Nancy Pelosi saying, we all stand behind the nonviolent protests in Hong Kong. It's like, what is going on here? Um, so yeah, I mean, the weird energy they're tapping into that I was just going to talk about is the, is the, they use a lot of Pepe the Frog imagery. I think one of the things that we didn't touch on that I think is really fascinating that really reminds me, actually, Abby, of Jamie Kerchick's RT um, Sochi Olympic stunts and sort of the Dan Savage Stolikna vodka protest stunt around that time about the gay law. What's happening right now is the NBA seems to be the corporation that's getting the most heat from the media and not just like the mainstream media, but also like the right wing fringe media. So we see also a convergence, which doesn't happen very often, I guess, in the Trump era, a convergence between the entire mainstream media and the sort of the right wing fringe media like Jack Posobiec. Um, you know, all the like sort of right uh, grifters are all pushing this narrative, too, that the NBA is sold out to China. And there's all these weird little astroturf stunts happening, like someone put up their child holding a shirt saying solidarity with the Hong Kong protesters live at an NBA game when the camera panned over to them. And it's like, who in the fuck is using their own child planning to do like a protest at the NBA game for like the Hong Kong protest movement. That is so odd. And that is just frankly not believable at all on its face. I do not believe that someone organically brought their child to a baseball game to do that. I, I mean, I don't know what the fuck happened there, but that seems really manufactured to me. And then also these like these people also holding up signs um, at um, these NBA games talking about the Hong Kong protesters. Uh, they seem like Trump plants or like weird MAGA soldiers or something. I mean, the whole thing seems really manufactured. Uh, and people keep going after LeBron James because he like defended some of these NBA players and people for like not wanting to talk about the Hong Kong protests or make too much light of them. Um, and he seems like yeah. a really easy target. I mean, he's not like the most savvy guy when it comes to politics, right? But I thought one of the the best clips I saw that the right wing wouldn't touch because the right wing actually, they really actually like Charles Barkley. Like Charles Barkley is almost kind of like a social conservative, like grumpy old guy in a, in a weird way. He's gotten in his old age yeah, on ESPN and shit. But he's fucking slant. He like just destroyed everybody's argument and like a two minute clip on ESPN. He got super fed up when someone brought it up and you never saw any right wing people circulating that clip at all because it made them look completely idiotic. Well, let me say this. <laughs> First of all, man, the vice president and president need to shut the hell up, uh, number one. All American companies are doing business in China. All American companies are doing business in China. I thought the criticism of uh, Commissioner Silver and LeBron James was unfair. Listen, Daryl Murray, who I like, he should have, he can say whatever he wants to, but there are consequences. But I don't understand why these holy endowed politicians, if they so want to worry about China, won't they stop all transactions with China? President Trump has been talking about and been arguing with tariffs for China for the last two years. But I think it's unfair 
for them to do all their business in China and just because this thing happened, try to make the NBA and our players look bad. All Americans' companies do business in China, period. Robbie, we covered this before in an entire episode about Hong Kong, where our guest, Sheila, uh, who is from mainland China, was actually talking about you know the demands of the protests. First, it was this extradition law, which immediately was rescinded and the government said, okay, we'll throw this out the window. And then it was trying to pass the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which was just passed. This was just passed. And this um, this is really interesting because it was co-sponsored again by Marco Rubio, you know, the, the, the lover of democracy, the great Christian. Um, and it basically not only assesses whether Hong Kong is autonomous enough to basically get special economic privileges from the U.S., um, it also freezes the assets and bars U.S. entry to officials who are, quote, found to be complicit in suppressing basic freedoms in Hong Kong. So, God, how far reaching can that go? It also performs an assessment on whether Hong Kong is adequately enforcing U.S. export regulations. So, again, just like ramping up the trade war shit, ramping up like economic sanction opportunities and pressures coming from the economic war, which is we know what China poses the real threat to the U.S., which is probably why we're hyping these protests up a lot. And so this was like at the behest of Marco Rubio and some of these protest leaders like Joshua Wong. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that that was passed, but it hasn't stopped the protests, you know, and so now they're moving on to something else. But I just I guess I'm unaware of what the core demands are and where they're really going with all of this, since their two primary things uh, were agreed upon. I mean, we're going to definitely be seeing more and more about it. It's clear that there's been a pivot away from Russia and towards China. Whatever this, whatever the blob, the general D.C. sort of national security apparatus consensus appears to be that they're pivoting towards Asia, specifically China, and away from Russia. Even though Democrats and a lot of pundits will still try to bring up the Russiagate thing and how Trump is a Russian puppet... The narrative is, it seems to be a a lot about China. The Trump administration is getting only minor critiques from sort of that same political class about his way or about the methods in which he's waging the trade war with China, but not the overall push, you know, the overall heat he's putting on China. This movement is all, there's definitely consensus behind this. So I think that we're going to see strong currents in this direction still and less mainstream media attention about, you know, Russia's corruption or Putin, you know, or protests even in Russia. I mean, I feel like these last protests in Russia um, barely got, you know, much mainstream media attention compared to what they would have gotten maybe around 2014, 2015. So I think that says something as well. So let's get into the the big news, Robbie. I think this is the biggest news since the coup attempt in Venezuela, which is the successful coup that just happened in Bolivia. A military coup was successful to depose a democratically elected Evo Morales, um, the first indigenous president of Bolivia in a country that has the largest proportion of indigenous peoples in Latin America. Really horrific things are transpiring since. This just happened a couple of days ago. I've been following the updates minute to minute. Um, I'm just going to go through some of this stuff, Robbie, and kind of get your reaction. First of all, I encourage people to join demonstrations and protests. Uh, There's protests being held at Bolivian consulates in every major city. We just went to one 
two days ago, it was really incredible to see over 100 people show up as this was unfolding to stand in solidarity with Evo Morales. There was a tiny counter demonstration there and all the media were basically attached to them and covering them, which I think perfectly exemplifies the problem with the corporate media in general. They were completely ignoring the fact that there was 100 plus people, many of whom were Bolivian, right, and Latin American and indigenous people, and just focusing on these right wing um loud counter protesters who were literally holding bibles and just focusing on them as if they were the only ones there as usual just like venezuela just like all of these things that we talk about on media roots radio the corporate media just bows down to global capitalism and provides cover for anything that is done to undermine or oust leftist leaders, and not even just leftist leaders, I mean any leader around the world who does not succumb and bow down to U.S. hegemony and global capitalism. And I think Evo Morales was one of the last holdouts. We were kind of all waiting with bated breath to see what was going to happen to him. We knew that on October 20th, when the elections were done, we knew that there were protests mounting in the streets, calling the process fraudulent and illegitimate, and this is kind of how it starts. You know, you have these USAID cutouts prepping for these moments where they can seize on electoral processes that are free and fair and seize on them and say, this is illegitimate. This is a dictatorship. This is authoritarian. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. I think that's why you can argue Rafael Correa wanted to leave and not run for another term. He could have easily won that. You know, a lot of these countries like Cuba, um, kind of became essentially a quote-unquote communist dictatorship out of self-preservation. Um, they had to purge militarily all of the former old guard. They had to protect themselves. They were able to succeed because the Soviet Union was maintaining its own economic bloc. They weren't having to compete with the global capitalist economy at the time. And so you saw much more successful socialist revolutions happening at that time of the world. Now, Venezuela was never able to successfully overcome fully the, the capitalist entities in the country that are trying to subvert Maduro. I mean, Venezuela at least was able to purge its military, but not at the beginning. You know, Hugo Chavez was a military man. He came from the military. But after the successful coup in 2002, where he was kidnapped after he reasserted himself and the whole country rallied behind him, then they purged the military forces that were involved in the coup. And that's why you see a lot of the military in Venezuela is basically the last holdout of why these coups haven't been successful since. They are very heavily aligned with Chavez and Maduro. They are very heavily aligned with socialist ideology. You haven't seen the same thing where in Bolivia, in Ecuador, in a lot of these countries, the military is not in line with the movements that have taken over these governments, the socialist movements that are in power. And so that's why you saw in Bolivia, the military immediately turned. The military and police immediately turned against Evo. And you saw them ripping off the indigenous flags from their uniform, declaring that it was no longer this pluralistic um, society that recognized indigenous people. They were, they were disgusted with the fact that they had to represent indigenous people in this country. It's a very, very racist characteristic that we see taking over right now in a very, very abrasive way. So let's talk about what has happened. And I want to get your take just on like the media coverage, Robbie, because the media... 
The media is uniformly reporting that Evo Morales resigned. He resigned. He resigned over election irregularities and frauds, Robbie. I mean, he stepped down willingly after weeks of protest, right? I mean, it doesn't matter that there was a video that came out of the military literally telling him you need to resign. All of these military officials holding giant guns saying, yeah, you need to resign right now. I mean, Robbie, he resigned willingly. And you have all these people who are out there, even a writer for Bellingcat. I think I sent you the oh, tweet saying. Can I read it? <laughs> he said his name is yeah. Robert Robert Evans at I write OK is his Twitter handle. He says, I still have no take on Bolivia. I will not weigh in on the rumor of coups. I'm not sure where the truth lies. But I am sure it is more complex and painful than whatever 280 character summary read from a Western leftist makes it out to be. Please keep in <laughs> mind. So it's interesting once again, Abby, that an NED State Department proxy Atlantic Council funded Google funded institution has writers that are f absolutely still fixated and they have up their fucking ass this bug about leftists, Western leftists. And they're not talking about like, you know, right-wingers will characterize everybody to the left as a leftist. He's specifically talking about Western anti-imperialists, leftists. That's who he's talking about. It's very fascinating to me that yep. once again, that's who makes them the most upset. The people who actually are trying to fight against this sort of conventional wisdom propaganda that's put out there. Um, absolutely fascinating. And then they actually hire so-called Western leftists now to write for them. Um, Oz uh, Kajari uh, was actually employed by Bellingcat. Charlie Arkey, uh, Charles Johnson is his name, was employed by Bellingcat. Very strange. But anyways, from my ignorant perspective, Abby, I haven't been following this as closely as you have. I haven't been doing my due diligence. But I can already tell what talking points some of these, some of these people like Robert Evans are trying to push to sort of combat what they believe is dangerous Western leftist propaganda. And some of the things that I've seen, and you could correct me on these or, or comment on them, because I honestly don't know what to make of them, but I can already tell they're manipulative. For example, saying, well, it's not a coup because he overstepped and tried to run for more terms than he should have. Even as a person who has no idea what's going on, I could see that's a logical fallacy argument because both things can be true. It could, all, it could be a coup, and that could also be true. So I don't even see how that's an argument. Second thing I've seen is people saying it's not a coup because he actually he lost the election, so he should have stepped down anyways. And this is like a constitutional elect electoral process or whatever. That seems like it's an obvious Hilarious. lie. Just from what the little I know about it, that's obviously not what's happening either. I guess for me, it's just so funny that why can't it be a coup at the same time as you not liking the way he's run his government? Now, I guess for some reason, people are afraid or think even taking that stance of saying it is a coup means that it's like, you know, it was done by force. And it's almost like I feel like these people have trapped themselves into a corner, Abby, where it's like they can't even acknowledge, even if they wanted to back the opposition, they can't even acknowledge rhetorically that it's a coup because they need to push the opposition against Morales. Like they need to make him look bad. So they don't even want to acknowledge it just on a rhetorical level. I think it's just almost like they they put themselves into such a corner that just saying it's a coup out loud while also saying, yes, but, you know, Morales did this and this. He's bad, but it is a coup. 
it just makes their argument a lot harder, their strategy a lot harder moving forward. So it's like this is their time to just manipulate and frame the debate now in a really pathetic way, obviously. This is absolutely pathetic that they cannot just say it's a coup. Rumors of coup? I will not weigh in on the rumors of coups. I mean, what? I mean, this is like the most clear-cut fucking example of a coup that I've actually seen in recent years. I mean, it is straight up like military at the barrel of a gun forcing a, a, a leader to resign. And I can go through all of those talking points and demolish them one by one. Please do. But what we're seeing take place now is right-wing fascist violence uh wreaking havoc across Bolivia. You have Bolivian security forces, right-wing mobs, literally going door to door, rounding and beating up indigenous people and leftists in indigenous impoverished neighborhoods as they smoke them out of their homes. This is on camera from Redfish. Uh, This is happening right now. Burning down the houses of all the MAS party officials. The movement for socialism is what the MAS acronym is. Um, the MAS party officials, not only Evo Morales, but his sister, his colleagues, uh, they are all under direct threat for their lives. I mean, luckily, Evo Morales just landed in Mexico and was granted asylum by Obrador. Um, I was really, really worried that he was going to be killed. But all of the other people in the MAS are at risk of being killed and imprisoned right now. And all of the people who are participating to protect the MAS are also at risk of being killed, imprisoned, tortured. We're seeing this on camera happening right now. It is textbook coup. And let's talk about what you just said, these talking points. Um, let's start with the fact that he overstepped. He overstepped his term. You hear the same thing about Nicolas Maduro, right? Yeah, and This is why they focus so much on trying to prevent people from running against Nicolas Maduro. This is why you saw Trump officials begging the opposition to not run. So then they can declare him unopposed. They could declare him a dictator. When Henry Falcone finally put his hat in the ring, they begged him to step down and he ended up losing. And they said the same thing. They said preemptively they would not recognize the results even before the election even happened. Same thing happened here, Robbie, where before the election results were even tallied, the opposition Carlos Meza said he would not recognize the results. You had Marco Rubio, Trump officials on Twitter saying fraud is being committed. How would you know that? The tally wasn't even in, you know? And this fourth term that everyone's up in arms about saying, well, Evo Morales ran for a fourth term and this is not constitutional. It is constitutional. They are correct in saying that there was no fourth term in place and a referendum actually that was held narrowly was voted that there shouldn't have been a fourth term in place. It was taken to the highest court in the land and they actually ruled that there should be a fourth term, that Evo Morales could indeed run for a fourth term. So again, people are just trying to prevent him from, you know, securing power again and and continuing to advance these social programs of poor and indigenous people that they want so badly to render invisible once again. So let's talk also about the fraudulent claims and the voting irregularities, because that is also completely fake. The Center for Economic and Policy Research, a really credible think tank operating out of D.C., probably one of the only good think tanks run by a couple people who I really admire, Mark Weisbrot, who is constantly on the cutting edge of debunking these myths. They're the ones who calculated the actual deaths. Uh, the surplus deaths from the sanctions on Venezuela. So they're really on the cutting edge of some of this material and they're doing things that no one else is. They broke down a incontrovertible statistical analysis 
of all of the polling data that is readily available online that, of course, no one wants to sift through because it's easier just to repeat um, blatant propaganda. But they found that Morales clearly won by a tally of 10 points. Okay, so basically the Organization of American States, which is this proxy arm of the U.S. empire, which is funded 60% by the U.S. empire, which is considered this impartial organization because it's run by all of these Latin American countries, but it's really just a complete puppet of the U.S. They went out ahead, released a press release saying, we're very concerned with the trend of where the votes are going, despite the fact that there was already a 10 plus increase. They said all of these votes are coming in later that show Morales winning by a landslide. That's just geography. That's actually where geographically the more rural indigenous people voted from. That's because outside of the city centers, Morales actually has the most support. So again, it, it wasn't because of irregularities or fraud. It was just the way that the country is structured and how the votes actually filtered in. All of this could have been proven right? Morales actually came out and said, I will do another election. That's how confident he was. He literally said, which he shouldn't have. He seriously was like, I will do another election because I am so confident in my victory and I'm so confident of the data. And they said no. And so that's when you saw the military step in and and say, you need to resign. Um, This was also happening at the same time that violence was being perpetrated against polling centers. Just like in Venezuela, the opposition was violently attacking polling centers, burning them down. Um, And so it was very dangerous, actually. It was just in the cards. You know, we knew he was calling this out a week or two ago saying they are going to do this. We all kind of were waiting, knowing that the military was going to um, going to side with the opposition and, and basically forcibly eject him. You know, and let's talk about who who the opposition is. That's really interesting, too, because a lot of people are saying, OK, yeah, it's definitely a coup. Right. Other than these Bellingcat CIA cutout CIA socialists who are like, oh, I actually have no idea if this is a coup or not. I don't I just don't want to jump out there and agree with these, you know, Western leftists who think that they know everything. What I think people are unclear of is how much does the U.S. have at play? How much is the U.S. really involved in this coup? Um, As time has gone on, we've seen that the U.S. completely engineered the attempted coup in Venezuela, you know, even behind the the assassination attempt of Maduro with that drone with C4 explosives on it. Everything that happened there was basically engineered um, and orchestrated by the U.S. and CIA proxies. So what is going on here? Is the U.S. sponsoring this? Are they involved well, Robbie, turns out more and more over the last couple of days, there's hard evidence that, yes, the U.S. is intimately involved in this operation, 100%. Break it down. I, I'm very, very fascinated to hear. Yeah. Let's start with Carlos Meza, who was the opposition figure. I mentioned that he immediately said, you know, he's not going to recognize the results. Great. Um, he is a CIA puppet, and I don't say that lightly. Um, Why do I say that? Because he's a member of a think tank, a prominent think tank in D.C. called the Inter-American Dialogue Group. It is run by a guy who was formerly at the NED, the National Endowment for Democracy. This guy was basically being run out of D.C. from this think tank, which has corporations on its board like Chevron, Exxon, Lockheed Martin, Walmart, Shell, Citigroup, BP. So kind of similarly to... What subsidizes the corporate media, you know, banks, weapons contractors, and oil companies, that's exactly who we're seeing fund 
this think tank that incubated this guy Carlos Meza. So who is the newly minted president? This is a woman who basically just declared herself president, um, holding a giant prop Bible. She's a Christian fascist. She recently tweeted things like this, Robbie, quote, I dream of a Bolivia free of indigenous satanic rituals. The city is not for Indians. They better go to the highlands or El Chaco. Yeah, this is a country where more than 65% of the population is indigenous. Can I just comment really quickly on how fucked up that is? Just on like, from from what I know about indigenous religions and spiritual practices in Latin America in general. I'm, I'm definitely speaking out of school a little bit because I don't know, you know, specifically in Bolivia, what kind of indigenous practices are done there. But I can tell you that for the most part, almost every indigenous ritual across the world that had mission, Christian missionaries come in to colonize that area, even though they allowed these groups to still continue their spiritual practices, missionaries and Christian rule, Christian missionary rule, and sort of authoritarianism from that colonial time period, basically forced them to convert all of their indigenous rituals to use Christian imagery. So they replaced like their own deities with the Virgin Mary, with Jesus, so even when you go to like do like magic mushroom rituals, like if you're like a hippie wanting to, you know, tourist wanting to go down to Mexico to do them, you will find that even those rituals that are rooted back for thousands of years in tradition have actually replaced their own iconography because of the Christian colonialism and missionary activity from hundreds of years back. So that's super sad that an idiot, you know, puppet would be saying this about the indigenous people in Bolivia. It's disgusting. And it's disgusting, Robbie, because we know that wanton violence is going to be committed against the indigenous people. I mean, this is what these coup mongers want. They want, they don't want to restore democracy. They want to impose a fascist rule. And we're talking about a country where 65% are indigenous. What do you think is going to happen to those people? They're going to be brutalized. Yeah, they're going to be at the very least be turned into, you know, even more second class citizens um, than they were before. It's a huge deal. I don't think people understand that just even on a visual level to have Morales representing the way that indigenous people look. He looks very indigenous. It's right. not it is not a normal thing for a leader that looks like him to be elected to be the leader of a country like that. It is it is pretty it's unprecedented in a way. I mean, and as far as the recent more it recent really history is. of Latin America. Absolutely. And I'll get to actually what he did for the country in a second. But I want to continue on the evidence that the U.S. actually is intimately involved in this. So, you know, this Bolivian Juan Guaido, who's using the Bible to basically legitimize her seizure of power, is also holding hostage the entire Senate majority. These are the MAS figures who literally had a majority in the Senate who are threatened with death if they showed up to their legislative body that they were elected to, to basically reject what's going on. This was just confirmed. Six School of America alumni um, had a, a central role in Bolivia's coup. This, this is, is a big a, deal. Yeah. The commander of the Bolivian armed forces who was involved in this coup, as Abby is saying, he received training at the School of America's. You can look this up. His name is Williams Calamin Romero. He's 56 years old. The School of Americas we've talked about a lot on this podcast before, but uh, continue with what you were saying, Abby. So the School of Americas is a horrific institution that should be shut down. It has trained um, and facilitated basically genocides across Latin America, 
all stemming from the U.S. government. It is a military training institution based in Fort Benning, Georgia. Since its creation in 1946, over 60,000 Latin American military officers have graduated from the school. So it doesn't sound too crazy. It's like, oh, whatever, you know, the U.S. military trains um, soldiers and then uses them in different operations around the, the world. No, they literally are trained in like the most brutal and horrific practices Every time you see like a crazy genocide or massacre taking place or like military dictatorship, almost in every single case, the people that have been a part of that are all attendees and graduates at the School of the Americas. Like really hands down, you can almost guarantee that that's the case. So I'm not surprised to see that multiple people leading the Bolivian coup are actual SOA graduates. There's manuals um, used by the school that basically condone and promote the use of torture. So there's this huge organizational effort to try to shut down the school. And it turned out like that the CIA was like spying on activists and all this stuff. Like this is just a huge ongoing thing. One of the biggest things that the School of Americas have been involved in is the disappearance and death of like over 200,000 Guatemalans. Um, in Colombia, the mass disappearances, millions and millions of people disappeared in Colombia. Basically, Colombia has the largest proportion of graduates from the School of the Americas. And now I'm reading actually soawatch.org. Colombia is used as the main proxy for U.S. empire, similarly to how Saudi Arabia is in the Persian Gulf and Israel is in the Middle East for U.S. empire. Colombia is what we use to deploy a lot of our operations, stage and house a lot of our military personnel. It's interesting because it's not just the U.S. military, of course. We use these native peoples of different countries to carry out operations on our behalf. So to kind of wipe our hands clean of these operations when really it is being led directly from the CIA, from from the State Department, and from this school. And it's just absolutely incomprehensible that the School of the Americas is still operating freely. Hilariously, I just remember they changed the name to Winsec. Kind of how like Blackwater changed its name a bunch. Like yeah. they changed it to Winsec. Is it a private corporation or is this like an actual official government institution of some kind? No, it's an institution. So it's actually officially like paid for. We, it's funded by ta- U.S. tax dollars. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. We just okay. train death squads. Well, I was just yeah. thinking, I mean, in this era yeah, now, so, I feel mm-hmm. like this is that's kind of an outmoded thing. It's like the government can just use like these shell cutout organizations, you know, fund like private, different private armies all over the world. I mean, who the fuck knows what they're up to now? After the era of Blackwater. Yeah. No, it's it, crazy. Jesus Christ. It's totally crazy. Uh, you know, more direct evidence of U.S. involvement is the police leader behind the coup served as president of a D.C. attache group, worked closely with the FBI. And, you know, Gray Zone just did a report about the Bolivian coup leader, Luis Fernando Camacho, who is a far right multimillionaire who came from this fascist movement in, in the Santa Cruz region of Bolivia, where the U.S. has been involved in encouraging separatism And again, he's courted support from Colombia, Brazil, and Venezuelan opposition, who I mentioned previously had been given $54 million from the U.S. State Department directly. So while he was holding a Bible and a flag, he, you know, stormed into the basically the presidential palace and vowed to like purge the country from native takeover and return God uh, to the institution. 
and he said Bolivia belongs to Christ, and he rejected the Andean Mother Earth spirit that was worshipped as the indigenous-led government previously. So this guy, you can read more about him in this article, um, but one really important thing to know is that he literally is a neo-Nazi. This is this is not hyperbole. He was groomed by an organization called the Union Juvenile Cruciniesta, or the Santa Cruz Youth Union, that has been linked to assassination plots against Morales in the past. They're notorious for assaulting leftists, indigenous peasants, and journalists, basically while espousing deep racism and homophobia. What's really crazy is since Morales entered office in 2006, they have been trying to facilitate this armed insurgency with the belief that the office was taken over by a satanic indigenous mass. Their members do sig hails. They wear green cross like fascist iconography. And, and you can see them. You can see these members in these videos that were posted doing Nazi salutes. Like this is fucking real. This is who's leading this operation. That's how fucking dangerous this shit is right now. I mean, there's this mis misunderstanding that people who aren't white can't, you know, can't be fascist or something that people have this misconception. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the case. I mean, it's not just people who look Aryan or, or light skinned that uh, participate in this sort of national fascist behavior and ideology. So, Absolutely. And Robbie, I think the best evidence that has come out is actually a series of 16 audio recordings um, on en24.news that you can listen to yourself. They posted them all on SoundCloud. On en24.news, I'm going to read um, exactly what's happening here. There's basically a series of 16 audio recordings which were leaked. Quote, local media pointed out that the destabilizing plan would have been coordinated by the United States Embassy in Bolivia prior to the elections and cites U.S. senators... Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, who are said to have direct contact with the Bolivian opposition in the strategy to overthrow Morales. The plan focused on the fact that if Evo Morales won the elections on October 20th, a civil military transition government would be established. The new government would allege fraud in the electoral process and would not recognize Morales' electoral victory. In the audios filtered through social platforms, opposition leaders called to burn structures of the government party and put together a strike through the country and attack the Cuban embassy in the country. So this, is, I think, is the most direct evidence, the fact that they're actually citing Marco fucking Rubio again, the lover of democracy, the great Christian, another fucking Christian fascist. They're citing him as having been in dialogue, planning this, Robbie, and planning it out of the embassy in Bolivia. It's so crazy. This is on record. This is on record. These are these are recordings that were leaked. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, that that's what's happening right now. And so, what we've seen happen since, you know, burning down the houses of these people, um, ransacking them. It's actually really devastating. Going into Eva Morales's house, pulling out all of his paintings, lighting a giant bonfire, filming, mocking him, mocking his stuff. It's it's really heart wrenching. We know so many people are going to be suffering as a result of this. The poorest and most vulnerable people in the country are going to suffer greatly as a result of what's going on. And let's see what else. Oh, and another interesting thing is that there's basically a virtual media blackout. Bolivia's state TV channel, Bolivia TV, and its radio, Patria Nueva, were attacked 
workers were held, threatened, and ultimately they all forced to change programming before they were forced out with guns. Holy shit. So you can't even hear about what's really going on from the state media outlets and and the outlets sympathetic to um, the Morales movement there. Interesting. And it's really devastating. I mean, I mentioned that there was this kind of rounding up of, of house-to-house roundups of the military in, in indigenous communities, and we heard reports of people actually being gunned down with live ammunition by military personnel in indigenous areas that were pouring out in the streets with the indigenous flag, charging, um, mobilizing in mass, saying that they are refusing to recognize these new figures. It's going to get scary, Robbie. It's going to get really scary. And we need to stand in solidarity with these people. And we need to do everything that we can to spread awareness about what's really going on. Because the, the propaganda is working overtime, you know, and and we're not seeing shit about this on the media. And so it's going to come down to us spreading this information ourselves and spreading the information about how the U.S. is involved in this yet again. You saw Trump take to Twitter and actually say this is amazing that Morales resigned. This is a great restoration of democracy. These people are disgusting. I mean, you saw John Bolton say that they wanted to reclaim the Monroe Doctrine. You know, this is no mistake. They've had their sights set on Evo Morales since 2006. And I'll tell you why as I wrap up this segment. Because not only was he the first indigenous leader, as you mentioned, the symbolism of that was so strong to have someone who represented the most vulnerable people in the country. It was really, really huge that Eva Morales won. And it was coming off of the heels of this huge pink tide with Hugo Chavez and going down the line in Latin America that was really changing the entire block. It was providing a lot of independence. It was scaring the hell out of the U.S. empire. And so one by one, just like the Middle East, you know, one by one, they knew that they needed to take these leaders out. And Trump said himself that Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela are the new troika of tyranny. He said that he kicked John Bolton out because he didn't want to go far enough in Venezuela and Cuba. This is not a joke. And I think um, we should this take is him happening at his word. right now. I, I think we should take Trump at his word. Absolutely. I mean, so I, I, I think that it's um, it's really, I cannot stress enough, it is really irresponsible to take Trump's anti-war rhetoric at face value and omit the other things that he says. Absolutely. And I'll just wrap this segment up by talking about what Evo Morales really did for the country and why the oligarchy has been trying to oust him for the last nearly 15 years. Um, He had a hugely successful economic policy during his term. Income growth was twice the rate of the Latin American average. Poverty reduced by 42%. Extreme poverty dropped by 60%. He immediately nationalized the oil and gas wealth to use for his own country's development and to invest in the poor population. And another thing that's really interesting is the lithium. Bolivia is part of the lithium triangle where 75% of the world's lithium comes from. Um, I think Bolivia alone has nearly 40% of the world's lithium. This is a new resource that we're realizing the importance of. It is in batteries. It is in uh, electronics, cell phones. So this is kind of the new oil, you know. I mean, I mean, this is this is why they are really scared of him nationalizing that. And he had a plan to deal directly on the international market with lithium. 
and instead of exporting a commodity at these bargain prices just to Western corporations and getting raped and pillaged. I think that his next step after nationalizing the oil and gas was building up, like really, really building up the infrastructure and really taking the economy to the next level with lithium production. And so it's just interesting timing, you know, as we're finding out this hot commodity that maybe wasn't as much of a priority, you know, 15 years ago is now very, very important to the global economy. And that's not a coincidence. You know, it's not a coincidence. So to just go out there and disingenuously parrot these absurd talking points about fraud, why is it that every leftist leader in Latin America has elections and then are called a dictator? Why is that? You see the same talking points from these bots, these operations that happen on social media of hundreds, if not thousands of fake accounts that were just created in the last couple of days that are just saying the same thing. It's not a coup. It's not a coup. It's not a coup. And then when you show things like this fascist, misogynist violence being, you know, happening against this mayor, red paint was poured on her. Her hair was forcibly cut. She was forced to sign a resignation letter. They said, oh, this was all staged. The people who were around her were all paid actors. Absolutely. So that's the kind of level of this. Yeah, that's the level of propaganda that we're seeing come out just to poison the well. You know, we can see the truth with our own eyes, but people are trying to just make it as confusing as possible. So that's kind of what's going on in a nutshell. I think that the significance of this is really profound. I can't overstate enough how significant this is if this coup really does go through and basically Christian fascism takes over Bolivia. God knows what's going to happen to the MAS officials. God knows what's going to happen to the indigenous population that is being rounded up right now. Um, this this comes on the heels of such monumental shifts in the region. Lula being released from prison in Brazil, Haiti, Honduras, Chile, Ecuador, all of these massive demonstrations. We don't know what is to come, who will end up taking power. Um, at first they were like, yeah, we're going to have another election, but it seems like this woman has now declared herself president. And, you know, these indigenous strongholds are not going to give up. They are going to fight. And they've said that they will fight to the death. Um, but there are hundreds of thousands of campesinos whose lives are on the line and whose futures are on the line. And all of the social gains, again, just like in Venezuela, like we know the first line of order is to immediately reverse all of the social gains that have been given to the poor and working class people of Bolivia over the last 15 years. Reverse all of that. Privatize all of the resources bow down to U.S. militarism, give whatever the U.S. wants to them, immediately privatize the lithium. I mean, all of this, I think, I fear we're going to see. And I don't know who's going to stop it, Robbie. I mean, we just have to pray that the indigenous community and the people will stand up and prevent this from happening. And we can only hope that the allies, the remaining allies in the region, Obrador, um, hopefully Argentina, um, hopefully Maduro, you know, you have Cuba still there standing strong despite the blockade. But I think that all we can hope for is that they will band together and help and help and, and provide resources to prevent this fascist takeover from from really succeeding. Um, because how many more, how many more coups must happen? How many more people must die before Americans mobilize against the U.S. empire and its criminal accomplices? This is happening because of our government, all of this. So it's time for us to wake up and realize that we are overly privileged. We have a direct responsibility 
to oppose this. We have a direct responsibility to inform ourselves, to educate others, to mobilize against this criminal government, to resurrect an anti-war movement, to figure out how we can stop this because there's not many countries left. And a lot of people's lives are at stake. Yeah. And Americans need to wake the hell up. Yeah, it seems like we, until we get out of this mode of only being concerned about foreign meddling when it seems to ha- take a toll on us, um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what it's going to take. But we need to get a moral backbone about all the damage and the carnage we're causing all over the world. Um, it's not our business. And we really need to reinforce that. And it's just a real shame that these things sort of just go under the radar. Well, I encourage everyone to follow Camilla from Telesaur. Um, Telesaur English in general is providing on-the-ground content, minute-by-minute, uh, Green Left Weekly, Venezuela Analysis. Of course, um, Empire Files, I'm, I'm covering this. I'm really, really invested in trying to deliver up-to-date information so definitely follow me on Twitter. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to keep reporting on this. I'm going to keep shedding a light on it. I think that it's really scary that we're kind of back to the era of just like CIA overthrows of Latin American leaders. I mean, it, and, and Trump is definitely um, pioneering that shift openly. And we need to stand Very opposed openly, to this. Yeah. yeah, we need to stand opposed to this. We cannot go back to this era. We can't go back to this era of repression and fascism and genocide at the hands of our criminal government. We have to say no more, and we have to fight for a better world. We have to fight for a utopian vision um, that stands in solidarity with all of our brothers and sisters living under the boot of empire and being oppressed by our economic system. And that includes, first and foremost, those in Bolivia that are suffering right now. Right now. Absolutely. Very well said. Well, thank you for listening to my my tangent. Um, I just tried to get all the information out there that I've been compiling for you to give you an up-to-date an armchair analysis of the situation. Um, show solidarity in the streets because that's, you know, we need to do that. We need to inspire others to really act and to put ourselves out there and to unequivocally say no and to counter the propaganda that's just being relentlessly deployed on social media from bots and also just right-wing psychopaths um, and also a lot of so-called liberals who are just like, you know what? No, this isn't a coup. Morales is corrupt. So that we're not going to have that shit. We're not going to stand for that shit. And we need to call it the U.S.'s yeah. role. We need to call it the U.S.'s role in this because we knew damn well it was coming and it's being revealed more and more. So... I think that's it, Robbie. I think that's it for this episode. Stay tuned for a whole other uh, breakdown on the PG&E stuff. Um, We have just a whole bunch of other headlines we weren't able to get to. And an episode with um, Pablo Vivanco talking about all the other, you know, movements going on across Latin America. And check out our previous episodes of Media Roots Radio on SoundCloud. We talk about the Watchmen. We talk about impeachment, uh, the Syria head fake troop withdrawal from Trump. So definitely check all of that out for some interesting analysis and some good research from my bro. And uh, yeah, subscribe and, and rate us and tell us what you think on social media and the SoundCloud timeline. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 
please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Radio. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Peace. Viva Bolivia.